that you provide for us all that we need. As we come to this time of the season in which our minds turn towards Thanksgiving, we certainly know that should be an attitude of our heart the year round, but we're especially mindful this week of all the things with which you've blessed us and most importantly, the blessing of being able to call you our Father through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're thankful today for our Savior. We're thankful for the Spirit that you've placed within us that belongs to you. We're thankful for even the sufferings that we endure that enable us to be more like Jesus. And today as we open up your written word, I pray that we would come to the full realization of the security we have in you. We invite you to continue to meet with us, for us to gather here and, and to sing some songs and to hear a message and even to say an amen now and then. If we do that without your presence, we're just wasting our time. And so we pray that your presence would continue to permeate in our spirits, and we will know that we've been in your presence today. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. We're going to take our Bibles one more time, well, one more time this series, not one more time ever, but one more time this series. And as you're taking your Bible and opening it up, you can turn your phone off, that'll be awesome. I was at a meeting last week for uh, a couple of days and uh, 13, about 13, 14 hours on Monday with a bunch of Baptists and about 10 hours on Tuesday and uh, there was a lot of, of preaching and you would think of anybody that would turn, make sure their cell phones were off, it would be preachers. Uh, but uh, right in the middle of one sermon, the Mission Impossible theme song went off on one guy's uh, phone. But I did like what, uh, what, what Pastor at Idlewood in, in Tampa, uh, what Brother Ken suggested. He said that if the phone goes off in the church service, that that person owes the pastor a generous gift card. And I thought that was a biblical, sounded biblical to me anyway, uh, idea. But I know now that you've got your phones turned off, that won't happen today as we open up our copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 8. We've spent a few weeks working through this chapter, and, and really the approach that we've taken with this is we've, uh, I've tried to share with you uh, some of the themes that stay out from this chapter because it's been called by many the greatest chapter in the Bible from the greatest book that's in the Bible, the book of Romans. Nowhere will you find a book in the Bible that helps us understand more about our sin condition, more about our Savior, more about our salvation, our sanctification, more about the, the, the suffering that we endure, more about the security we have in Jesus Christ. And that's our focus this morning as we think about what a difference security in Christ makes. We have looked at the difference that a Savior makes. We then looked at the difference that the Spirit of God makes. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the difference that our suffering can make. And of course, Brother Lewis Miller was with us last week. And by the way, I do appreciate those in this church who encouraged me last week by telling me that was the best sermon you ever heard me preach. I, I appreciate that. 
a bunch of Barnabases. Uh, and, uh, and so we've looked at those three themes, but now we come to this final theme and it's that we want to focus on in the book of Romans, specifically chapter 8, the difference our security makes in Christ Jesus. Now understand that I believe, and as Baptist, we believe to this doctrine, that the Bible teaches that there is something called the eternal security of the believer. That is, once we have a relationship with Jesus, we believe that the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit of God seals that relationship and nothing can destroy it. That there's nothing that can take our standing with God away. There's nothing we can do to forfeit it. And there will not come a time when God the Father says he no longer wants us as his children. That we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. And once you receive that salvation, that salvation brings with it assurance. And that assurance brings with it security. And that security is found in the promise of God to his children. Before we look at our text, uh, we actually want to back up just a couple of verses because it's my opinion that I think maybe Paul intended to end Romans chapter 8 with verse 30, but he just got some Pentecostal in him and he he went a little uh, praiseworthy in the remainder of the chapters because what he says, if you back up and look at Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, that kind of sets the stage for what he's going to say about our security in Christ. So if you look back up in your Bibles, or the verses will be on the screen as well, Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, they use some big words in those verses. They use some important words in those verses that speak to our security in Christ. Paul said that God foreknew us. That doesn't just mean that God knows things before they happen. In the Bible, when it says that God knows someone, it means that he has a relationship with them, and they have a relationship with him. Saying that God foreknew us means that before we ever existed, God set his love on us. Can you try to fathom that? That before we were ever born, God had chosen to love us. That's security for someone to love you before you've done one stupid thing in your life. Those whom he foreknew, Paul said, he predestined. That simply means to determine the destination beforehand. God has predestined those those who he foreknew to ultimately look like Jesus. Look, Paul's not trying to start a fight about predestination, and neither am I. Paul never meant for it to turn into what we've made it today, to where we've got this group and that group arguing and bickering over the word of God. Paul is trying to give us assurance. He is saying in our predestination that before time began, God had a purpose for me and nothing can deter him from that purpose. That's security. 
that those whom God foreknew, he predestined and then he called. You didn't just wake up one day and say, I think today is a good day to love Jesus. God was calling you to him. You were drawn to want to know him. If you belong to Jesus today, you had to make a choice to choose him. But the reason you chose him is because God was drawing you to himself. And when God draws you to himself, that's security. Those that he predestined, he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he also justified. That is, he he makes our standing right with God. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And those whom God foreknew, those whom he predestined, those whom he called and justified, they are also glorified. To be glorified means to have all sin eradicated and to be made perfect in body and soul. It is ultimate redemption. But notice, don't miss this before we jump into our text. Don't miss what he saying. Paul speaks of this glorification in the past tense, and yet you and I have yet to be glorified. Any of y'all taking Tylenol the last four or five days? Any of you lying right now to me? Okay. I mean, when you get aches and pains, you are not yet glorified. But Paul speaks of it like it's already happened. It is a guarantee event. Take all this together and you can see that the follower of Jesus has security of Jesus. Now Paul could have stopped right there. And some of you are wishing he would have stopped right there because that would be at the end of today's sermon. But Paul didn't stop right there. Paul went into a time of praise in which he just speaks of the great works of Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as a sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Talk about security. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Notice several things from this text. I'm going to mention four of them to you. That followers of Jesus don't have to fear because of the security we have in Jesus Christ. And I believe that it's no mistake that you are sitting in this room today, and I don't believe it's any mistake that you're joining us online today. 
I believe that God has a word to speak to my heart and to yours about our security in Christ. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you of the security you have in Jesus by saying these four things. Number one, because of our security in Christ, we don't have to fear opposition. Because of that security, we do not have to fear opposition. Look at what he said again in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can oppose us if God is for us? Now, Paul is not saying that we will never face opposition. What he's saying is that nothing that stands against us, nothing that opposes us can stop God's good purposes in our lives. Something, Brother Ray, is the only one listening to me this morning, apparently. I told Lewis I was going to call him after church today and let him know if y'all learned anything last week about when to say amen and stuff. And right now, it's not going to be a good phone call. Some of you right now in this room, you have something against you. You're facing opposition. It might be a coworker who's taking the shortcuts to get the promotion while you're trying to do it the right way and it's not looking good for you. It might be a boss who's a jerk. Our staff wouldn't say that, I hope. But it might be your opposition. Your opposition might be a child who has made or is making poor choices. What's against you might be a struggle with the past action you've taken and You just can't seem to get beyond it. Your opposition might be a chronic health problem that makes it difficult for you to get out of bed and walk and do anything else in your life. What opposes you this morning may be an addiction. Paul is not saying that the follower of Jesus will not experience such opposition. He's saying that no opposition will ever overcome that follower of Jesus. Listen, the struggles that you face may be big, but the God who is for you is bigger than any struggle you face. In fact, the God who is for you is bigger than every struggle you face combined. That's why David said in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. I don't know about you, but I have no plans to camp out in the valley of the shadow of death. But you know what? You know what our strategy? Our strategy is to just avoid the valley. But guess what? The death rate, the last time I checked per person's one for one. Our strategy is to try to avoid the valley, but we can't avoid the valley. We've got to go through the valley. We've got to experience opposition. We've got to have something that is against us. For, For David, he was saying, look, I can walk through this valley for a while so long as you, God, are with me because you are stronger. You are greater than anything in this valley. You cannot isolate yourself from opposition, but you can believe the promises of a God who is bigger than the opposition you face. 
That's security. Second, because of our security in Christ, we don't have to wonder if our needs will be met. We don't have to wonder if our needs will be met. I try to be transparent with you and sometimes to my own chagrin. But I'll admit to you that Romans 8.32 is one of those verses that the longer I live, the more precious it becomes and the more difficult it is for me to sometimes believe. Look what I said in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Sometimes we need to remember just how much God loves us. Sometimes we become so familiar with the John 3.16 that we fail to realize how real it is. You see, the value that something has is shown by what someone is willing to pay for it. You ever watch that show on the History Channel, the pawn shop out in Vegas, and how they'll have somebody come in and this person's great-great-great-great-grandfather gifted them <coughs> this musical box, and they're like, man, this thing has got to be worth $18,000. Ah, it's got to be worth that. All right, Rick, I tell you what, I will bargain with you. Let's start off at $18,000, and Rick will say, let me call one of my buddies. He'll call his buddies, and his buddy will say, that thing's worth a quarter. <laughs> it may be worth $18,000 to the owner, but it's true, value is only found in what somebody's going to pay for it. You ever put something on eBay? Do we still do eBay? Is that still a thing? Or Facebook Marketplace? And you ask about $10 for something that you think is a steal and you sell it for 50 cents? <laughs> value is seen only in what someone is willing to pay for it. Paul reminds us in verse 32, don't miss this, that we're so valuable to God that he was willing to pay by giving his son. That he sacrificed his son Jesus in order to save us. And knowing and believing that should change how you perceive what God is doing in your life. I don't know how much value you think you are worth. But I know what scripture says you are worth. You're so valuable that God the Father gave up his boy so you could have a relationship with him. That you're so valuable that God the Father would willingly surrender his son to suffer and to die so we would not have to suffer and die for our sins. That God values you so much that he was willing for a moment on the cross to watch his son and to turn away from him and away from his presence so that we would never have to have God turn his back upon us. That's how valuable you are today. Well, then think about this. Why would God invest the life of his son in you 
did not give you what you need to fulfill his purpose for your life. Why would God send Jesus to save you but not help you get your marriage back together? Why would God send Jesus to redeem you but then not give you the strength to overcome an addiction? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If Jesus did not withhold himself from us, if the Father did not withhold his son from us, what makes us think that God's going to withhold anything from us? He's going to give us everything that we need. So we don't have to worry if this is going to happen. We don't have to worry how we're going to come out on the other side. We don't have to be under. I pastored one one time. Let me just preach a little bit longer. I pastored a lady one time, and she's one of those ladies that I finally learned, don't ask her how she's feeling. (laughs) Because every time as my first pastorate, and it may be difficult for some of you to believe, but In my first pastorate, there was no filter between here and here. None. (laughs) And I I asked her one day after the same answer, and I said, how you doing this week? I'm okay under the circumstances. And I finally said, well, would you please get up over them? (laughs) If you're under the circumstances, let's try living over the circumstances because he who did not spare his own son, he's going to give us everything that we need. Listen, your greatest need is salvation from sin. That is your greatest need. And if God provided a way to meet that need, you can rest assured that he's going to provide a way to meet all your lesser needs as you follow him. You don't have to wonder if your needs will be met. Our security in Christ demands it. Number three, because of our security in Christ, we don't live under the guilt of sin, but we live under the approval of God. I didn't say I wasn't a sinner. I said that because my security is in Christ, I don't live under the guilt of that sin. Because I live under the approval of God. And God approves me because of what Jesus has done for me. Look at what he says in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Those who belong to Jesus. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. That Jesus at this moment, brothers and sisters, he is interceding for us, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. In in, in John's gospel, Jesus is speaking about the authority that the Father has given him. And Jesus said, this is in, and it's not on the screen, but just you can write it down to reference. I promise it's there. Jesus said in John 5, 22, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. This means that everyone will eventually stand before Jesus. You, 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 me, Everyone will eventually stand before Jesus, but don't miss this. The person who one day will judge my sin 
is the same person who died for it. (laughs) That the same one who died to redeem this world of all its sin, the person to whom everyone in this world will answer, is the one who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And because Jesus bears in his body the price for my justification, I cannot be condemned. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no zero, not a zilch, nothing, uh uh-uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt of my sin has been canceled. Jesus will never bring my sin to me in order to condemn me. In fact, what Paul says is that the judge who is also my Savior is right now at this very moment, saints, he is at the right hand of God interceding for me because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. That means that I have a heavenly Father who approves of me I have a heavenly father who thought I was worth saving. I have a heavenly father who has justified me in his sight. I have a father in heaven who has declared a purpose over me that is greater than what anyone else thinks about me. I am approved by God. And as much as I love every one of you, As much as I would listen to every one of you, at the end of the day, what you think about me, I don't really care. Because Jesus has already set his approval upon me. And the same is true for you with people in your life. What they think about you does not matter. It's what God has said about you. I'm not under guilt. I'm always under the approval of God. Because of our identity in Christ, we will never be separated from the love of Christ. Something very interesting in in these verses. Look at verse 35 and following. When Paul mentions these things, I view them as inanimate objects. I would say, what shall, if it was Jonathan writing, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? But Paul doesn't use that word. Paul uses the word who. He says, who shall separate us, verse 35, for the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You wouldn't think of tribulation, distress, persecution as a who, but that is exactly what Paul, how Paul addressed them. Paul 
is setting up for us a contrast with a greater who, capital W-H-O. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have against you, you've got a who on your side that is greater than anyone or anything else. Or better stated this way. This is an amen point right here, okay, just pre-warning. The who of your salvation is greater than the who of your circumstances. It's that weird verse in that text. I mean, Paul's being all chippy and chirpy and happy, and you're like, he's going to write cards for Hallmark. And then in verse 36, it's like, wah, wah, wah. He says, as it's written, for your sake, God, we're being killed all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a quote. Paul is quoting Psalm 44, verse 22. Psalm 44 is a song of lament. It was written during a dark time of Israel's history. And the, <coughs> the specifically, the, the, the tool he's using, it's like this. You, I'll start and you finish. I can't get no. Okay. That was the, that's not the song they used in but that was Paul, where you, he was, he's using a, a, a practice in their day where he would start a song and then everyone else knew the other line. And he brings this line from Psalm 44 about when Israel was surrounded and nothing looked good for them and it seemed like everything was against them. And as he started to say, for your sake we're being killed, they would have joined along and they were beginning to think about this time in Israel's past when everything was against them. And Paul is saying Romans chapter 8 is the answer for the question of where is God from Psalm 44. The question is, if is our sin separating us from God so that we are being led to slaughter as sheep? Romans 8 says the answer is no. If our sin could not separate us from the love of God, can anything else, if God did not turn his back on us, even when we turned our back on him, will he turn his back upon us now? The answer is no. Maybe this morning, just maybe, you're living in a Psalm 44 season. You feel as if nothing in your life is going to turn out for good. If that's you today, you've got one task only. If you're a follower of Jesus, your task, if you feel like you're in a Psalm 44, is to grab a hold of the promises of God in Romans chapter 8. Because your Psalm 44 is swallowed up by the promises of God in Romans chapter 8. 
You may feel like a sheep set to be slaughtered, but you are more than a conqueror. You may feel like you are being killed all the day long, but not even death can harm you. Listen to me, my friend. God's purpose in your life is unchangeable. His power in your life is unchangeable. His love for you is unconditional. Therefore, you have nothing to fear. All those things that oppose you, persecution, distress, famine, danger, sword, earthly and demonic powers, those things may affect your situation, but they cannot change your identity. Your life is not defined by your circumstances. Your life is defined by who you are in Christ. You are who he says you are. And maybe you would realize that in that season, as you come to that realization, it would cause you, like Paul, to worship. He couldn't just shut up at the end of verse 29 and 30. But he had to praise God for what he'd done in his life in verses 31 through 39. How can we rest in security in Christ? Well, first and foremost, you have to have a relationship with Christ. Outside of Christ, there is no security. All these promises, these promises are only good for those who have a relationship with Jesus. The good news is that they can be promises that you walk out this room with today. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, in just a few minutes, we're going to we're going to bow, we're going to pray, and we're going to sing. And if you've got a question about that, I'll be down front. We've got Randy here, our associate pastor, who will be glad to, to talk with you through that. We've got deacons in this room who will be glad to, to share with you the gospel. If you think, I can't come down in front of people, I, I can't do that right now. That, that we don't have, if you go to hell, you're going to have to trip over us to get there, okay? Because after this service is done, there's a little next step station right outside these doors to the right, and I'm there for as long as as I need to be, if you've got questions about what it means to have security in Jesus. But let me just offer one word of encouragement for those of us who have that relationship with Jesus. Lean into Christ. Rest your life upon him. I grew up in a little country church in the sticks of South Arkansas. And every time a person joined the church, it didn't happen every week. Sometimes my daddy would preach and weeks and weeks would pass and nobody would join. But of course, as families grew up in that area, every time a person joined, we'd come by after the service and extended them the right hand of Christian fellowship. And when they extended to them the right hand of Christian fellowship, there was one or two songs that they were going to play. My grandfather would lead, and either when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, or we'd sing this other one. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning 
on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so dear, leaning on the everlasting arms. Of course, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. No chance of Kenneth's job in jeopardy, not at all. There are days that the only way we make it through is to lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't feel that secure in Jesus, I promise you, he ain't gone nowhere. If you're far away from God, it's not God that's moved. It's you. And his arms are everlasting to keep us safe and secure from all alarms. Would you bow your head with me this morning? I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. And I don't know what God has placed on your heart today. I just want you to say yes to whatever God is calling you to do. Imagine, as we use this terminology often around First Baptist, imagine a table. And God's on one side, and you're on the other. And God is asking you to put your yes on that table. I don't know what it is a yes to do, and that's not my business. But whatever God's calling you to do, would you just put your yes on the table to ask him to be your Lord and Savior? To say, you know what, I need to follow through with baptism like we saw those testimonies today. To feel secure enough to take that step. Whatever God's calling you to do, would you just simply say yes today? Father, I thank you for the security we have in Jesus. I thank you for what he's done for us. I thank you that we can always lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Would you have your will and your way with us today?